we're there. We're there every day. We're part of these kids' lives every day. We are in partnership with both the Edmonton Public and Edmonton Catholic Schools to have officers in uniform in schools on a regular basis. They start and end their day here. They interact with the kids. Of course, they enforce the laws, um, but they're also engaged in proactive means, presentations, uh, coaching, mentoring, those kind of things. Hi, I'm Omar Salafu, and you're listening to Is This For Real?, a podcast about policing and anti-black racism in Edmonton. Today, we're going to be talking about the School Resource Officer Program, and I'm sitting here with Bashir Mohammed, who's a local writer, um, uh, activist, and I'd say, you know, community member. Um, how's it going, Bashir? Oh, it's going well. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this program. It's really important. Do you want to tell me why the, the SRO program is, is really important? Yeah, I mean, it's important because I guess the SRO program is important to understand because it's over a million dollar, you know, budget item. Um, it's kind of surreal when you think about it because this million dollar budget item puts police officers in our school. Their mandate is effectively to police and surveil, you know, our kids. And, you know, people talk about how there's pros and cons to the program, but kind of the surreal thing about all this is that there's been no review. There's been no public review of this program since since its existence, and we're just sort of expected to believe that it works. Especially, you know, kind of with this moment we're in, I think it's important to, uh, to speak about this uh, because we, we we just don't understand it, and I, and I think that's core. This I think that's core. So going into the events of the last couple of months here in Edmonton, the Edmonton Public School Board has reacted to the I guess new newfound focus on policing by deciding to review the SRO program. And they had a meeting essentially where a motion was tabled to actually disband the program completely. Suspend it. Suspend the program. Yes. So suspend the program while the review is happening. And then once the review is finished, then they can decide whether or not they want to, you know, keep SROs in our schools. Yeah. And, the meeting was a little wild. I don't know if you want to give like a recap of what happened. It was a very, very long meeting. And this SRO item was just one of the items on the agenda. And essentially, it came near the very end. And the chair of the school board was pretty insistent on kind of saying that the school board doesn't have facts. You know, they don't have any evidence right now on whether or not SROs are, you know, a problem in our schools mm-hmm. and whether or not they should be suspended while the review is happening. So she defended not suspending the program. The the school board, yeah, they, they actually came close to, or sorry, they actually had a vote to uh, suspend the program. And the wild thing was that the vote was tied and there is a bunch of other drama. I don't know if you want to just kind of go over it briefly to give some context. So essentially what happened was at the very end of the meeting, one of the uh, school trustees, um, I'm blanking on her name. Do you want to tell me your name? Yeah, it was Cheryl Johnner. Yeah, so um, Cheryl Johnner essentially spoke up at the end of the meeting, and we're going to play the clip for you here, but said uh, an incredibly racist thing about you know school, students in her, in her um, kind of school zone. Um, and after saying that racist thing, um, they just voted and the vote was tied. Um, and essentially it was a situation where 
Because the vote was tied, they did not suspend the SROs. Developing news tonight, Edmonton Public School trustee Cheryl Joner has resigned from her position effective immediately. She quit less than 24 hours after this comment about refugees and police in schools. When those students sometimes enter our schools, they can be violent there as well. And I feel that the safety of students is critically important that other students feel safe as they go to their own schools. School board chair Trisha Estabrooks accepted the resignation. What she said uh, is racist, it's wrong, and it's completely unacceptable. When City News asked Esther Brooks why she did not immediately respond in the meeting to Johnner's comment, she simply says she did not hear it. Bashir Mohammed says Johnner was once his trustee. He calls her comments hurtful. I was actually one of those refugee students she's talking about. So me listening to her, she was basically saying that um, when she was a trustee, she saw me as, you know, a violent kid who police needed to watch over. Joner apologized in her resignation, saying her comments were inappropriate and immediately regrettable. The vote to keep school resource officers in Edmonton Public Schools was tied. Now the question is whether to look at the issue again with Joner not casting a tying vote. Revisiting that, you know, I wouldn't say it's outside the realm of possibilities. Um, always open to have that conversation in the future, but right now that is our board's decision. They need to suspend it, you know, as soon as possible. Um, it doesn't make sense to uh, have a program in place that you know nothing about and keep it in place until you're done a review that can take maybe up to a year. Edmonton's public schools will now have an outside agency review having police officers in schools. After saying that racist thing, um, they just voted and the vote was tied. Um, and essentially, it was a situation where because the vote was tied, they did not suspend the SROs. And um, we knew that someone who said an incredibly racist thing voted in favor of not suspending them, yet the vote still stands to this day, and we're not reviewing it. So if Joner had you know, not been on the school board that day, we wouldn't have SROs in September. The program would have been suspended. Yeah. Do you want to go into that? Yeah, and uh, I, I guess to just emphasize this a little more, when we speak about systemic racism, you know, it's racism upholding, um, you know, systems that hurt black and, you know, indigenous kids, for example. This is literally an example where the vote passed because of racism. If she wasn't there, the vote would have failed. And it's just surreal. Um, so there was actually... Um, a, a lot of controversy, right? It blew up on social media. And uh, trustee Trista Estabrooks, trustee Trista Estabrooks, who is one of the people that actually voted for the program, made a motion to reconsider. Uh, basically, the logic was, yeah, this vote was flawed because of that racism. And yeah, it just goes to like another meeting, right? And at that meeting, um, they have the same motion and somebody is there. Uh, do you want to tell us what happens then? I actually don't think I know what happened. Okay. And I'm, I, yeah, because like I, I thought this was going to be going in September. What what happened? No, no. So what happened was uh, everyone was there who originally voted, right? And you assume that you know th this vote's going to be easy. So a motion to reconsider requires a unanimous vote before it actually before the motion is reintroduced, right? So what needs to happen is everyone has to agree that yes, we will talk about this again. 
that didn't happen because a trustee who wasn't present at the previous meeting, Ken Gibson, was there. No one knows why he didn't show up uh, at the previous meeting, like the really important one. But he shows up to this one and he's the only guy that votes to not reconsider the motion. So it, it dies, you know, and it's wild because everyone's gearing up for this huge passionate debate and this guy who wasn't even there walks in. Nobody knows why he wasn't there. Yeah, everyone was like super depressed. I remember seeing the uh, seeing the reactions live. And now this is why I guess we're talking about this now because it comes back September 8th, or at least everyone is suggesting it will come back. You know, trustees are saying that, yes, we will bring this back September 8th, which is the next board meeting. So I guess that's why we're talking about this now. And after the first vote, Trista Esterbrooks made these comments uh, saying that, you know, it's important to listen, you know, how we truly need to listen to people, even though trustees weren't listening to people who have been calling for a review of this program for years. She made these comments and you can hear them now. You know, there is process that needs to be followed. And part of that process, again, is listening to people, right? Truly listening to people and having a conversation about the role of police officers in our schools. We think it's important to listen to people and people who have things to say about the SRO program. Uh, Omar, you have a guest uh, who, you'll, who, who you'll speak to later. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this person and why their story is important? Yeah, so um, I talked to an Edmonton High School teacher and essentially they have a firsthand experience with what it's like to have an SRO in their school. And the damage and the impact that, you know, the police have done in, you know, her community. Uh, She's seen it over the years. She has, um, like I said, direct experience with it. And I think it's one of those things where she's seen students be directly targeted. She's seen students be harassed. Um, So... So when we talk about the SRO program um, and we talk about listening to people, I think I think she's a perfect example of who we need to listen to. We should be listening to we should be listening to teachers. We should be listening to students. We should be listening to people who actually have to be, you know, directly impacted by the police. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be listening to school board trustees. We shouldn't be listening to police administration. We shouldn't be listening to I don't think school administration. Because it's clear that these people's only agenda is keeping police in schools and keeping police happy. And um, I think that's completely yeah, wrong. For sure. And for some context, then I guess to uh, just emphasize that point, uh, the superintendents of both school boards in Edmonton actively support this program um, to the extent where the chair, where the superintendent of the, of the Catholic school board actually wants them in elementary schools. Like they straight up said that. And if you think about it, like it's it's kind of surreal. There's no there's no other program where you spend over a million dollars um, and actually increase it without doing some sort of review. In order for you to truly understand the impact that our interview with this high school teacher is going to have, I think it's really important to establish a foundation of what does it mean for Edmonton students in our community to have school resource officers in, you know, all of our junior highs, all of our high schools, almost all of them. What does that mean, Bashir? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's, it's just surreal. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people who actually didn't have cops in schools. And yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's just kind of a strange system. And you're right, like we do need a foundation uh, to understand these problems. So anyways, I produced this uh, clip for the podcast. Uh, it's kind of my experience trying to understand the program. We're there, we're there every day. We're part of these kids' lives every day. There was a homicide a couple of years ago where there was suspects outstanding and they just had a description of a vehicle and a nickname. And they came to me asking, do you know this person? And of course, right away, knowing your kids inside and out, you think, oh yeah, of course, this is, this is who it is. So by knowing who your kids are and what they're doing, we can not only help the SRO unit, but we can help the EPS in its entirety. So the officers are dealing with day-to-day -day investigations, day-to-day -day interactions, but they're also engaged in training that allows them to deal with the extraordinary, uh, the occurrences of uh, threats, both internal and external to a school. Drop the gun, drop the gun! I just want to pause here for a moment. What you just heard was an active shooter exercise. Now this is important because Edmonton police often claim that there are active threats in our schools, that students bring guns to schools. They do this to justify their armed presence, but this isn't true and we can prove this. In June, Acting Staff Sergeant M. Chan was on Edmonton AM and made this claim. This is that interview. You know, unfortunately, even this year, we've had um, uh, people bringing guns and knives to school, drugs. We've uh, managed shooting and bomb threats. We have violent intruders. So we're you know, perfectly positioned to deal with those and de-escalate quickly. Well, how um, many of those incidents happen? Like, how many times would someone bring a gun to school? Well, you know, thankfully, not very much. We're in Edmonton, after all. Mm -hmm. So it does happen. I'd say conservatively, it still happens twice a year easily within our schools, Mark. Okay. And now police officers would be armed as they would be anywhere, right? Well, and that's the whole package that, uh, you know, in our agreement with the schools. And it goes back to safety, so, so they are armed? Yeah. We are, yes, yeah. that's right. Later that day, the Edmonton Public School Board had a public meeting. Trustee Bridges Sterling at the meeting asked Superintendent Daryl Robertson if claims like this were accurate. Here's Bridges Sterling and Daryl Robertson's exchange at that meeting. What I hear often is SROs saying, you know, students are bringing guns to school. I want to know, how often is this actually a violent incident? And how often is it, um, you know, a kid stole another kid's hoodie. We need to know what these incidents actually are and, and part of the public reporting process we need, I think it needs to account for that. The comment about bringing guns to school, uh, if, if you're referring to the radio interview this morning that happened, that was an unfortunate comment. Uh, it, it replica, uh, we have had replica, uh, you, know, uh, you know, guns in schools that have been dealt with and it's not okay to bring replica guns to school and our kids know that and we're clear um, with that. You would know uh, as a board, um, because I would let you know uh, if there were an incident of an actual gun uh, in our schools, um, for sure, uh, because I aspire to be completely transparent, you know, with our board at all times. So that was a unfortunate comment uh, that may have been taken out of context. And I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. The problem with claims like this is that they spread unwarranted fear. They're designed to make our schools appear more dangerous than they actually are. 
This is a problem and journalists should challenge this. It is important to reflect on this information before we continue with the police video. This is because videos like this serve as a type of propaganda. We need to ask ourselves who benefits when we give the public fear and make them feel like our schools are a threat. In doing this training, it equips us with the ability to keep the staff and the students safe. That training will make them better and more competent in being able to deal with those emerging issues as they arise. It's really a tag team. We support each other in all the different types of things that we can in regards to safe and caring schools and initiatives of making sure the well-being is, is, is looked after of our students. We all have a calling and for these police officers, they're bringing their experience from the street, their life experience, into a school setting and they'll be able to apply that to kids. Uh, school resource program is fantastic and I believe it. Uh, the Edmonton Police Service offers the best program that I've seen. We are the School Resource Officer Unit. And this is who we are. I watched that video again, and I noticed something familiar. I realized that I recognized one of the officers, and I also recognized the hallways of the school they were in. It was my high school, Queen Elizabeth, located on the north side of Edmonton. This made me feel weird because I remembered what our constable would do to my friends. He would find my friends who are just low-income kids, and expect them to pay hundreds of dollars for small bylaw infractions. They would also target my friends for weed and give them criminal charges. From what I saw, these cops were a surveillance tool and a quick way to the downtown law courts. These experiences were painful, but I'm not sure if you'll believe me. One thing about being black in Edmonton is that you wonder if your experiences are real. Your experiences are racism. This is because it's almost impossible to prove that they are real. And the SRO program is the perfect example of this. Something that we need to examine more closely. Doing this will allow us to build a foundation so that we can see the true scale of these problems. I first asked for data on the SRO program a few years ago. I actually went directly to the school board and spoke at their meeting. I raised concerns about a school-to-prison pipeline and that black and indigenous kids were being disproportionately targeted. I spoke about the need to examine and eliminate this program. Every trustee looked at me, but they did nothing. So I was forced to file a freedom of information request, asking for all SRO data from 2012 to present, along with race-based data. It took a few months, but I got a response back in May of 2019. They said they had the information, but it was not organized. They said, if I want... To have the data, I would have to pay $64,027.50. I'm currently working with a lawyer to appeal this fee and to have it waived. Regardless, we do have some data on the program. It's from a 2012 presentation they gave to City Council. I found the Google Drive link online and saw that it was still active. I also noticed that they left their own speaking notes on. So I made a copy and uh, here's what I learned from that document. In 2012, there were 3,451 police actions in schools. That breaks down to 181 per school. This ranges from a minor fine to a serious charge. I also learned that SROs run an entrapment program called the Bait Phone Program. On their own speaking notes, they refer to students as suspects. Basically, they take a Samsung phone, they put a tracker on it, and they wait for a student to take it. They say that the goal of the program is to apprehend these suspects and to use a criminal justice system as a deterrent for thieves. 
Finally, I was made aware that school boards pay 50% of an individual officer's salary. This can be upwards of $50,000. There was no race-based data, but despite that, I learned that my experiences were real. Nobody can dispute this hard data. And because of this renewed moment of BLM, trustees have decided to do their own review. And I personally feel like that is a long time coming, but at least it's a start. I truly hope that the school board is able to uncover more hard data in their review, because I believe that the first step of solving a problem is by recognizing that there is one. I apologize for all this information, but it's necessary. Systemic racism is designed to appear complicated because doing so prevents criticism and it also prevents movements that try to end the systemic racism. The next portion of this episode of Is This For Real? is the interview with an Edmonton High School teacher whose identity has been hidden. Some of the topics in the interview may be triggering to some, so we've included timestamps on our website and show notes for each section of the interview that you can choose to skip. The interview is also voiced by an actor reading a script of the original conversation. Here is the interview now. So I guess probably a good place to start would be just like a little bit more information about you, you know. Um, Why did you decide to become a teacher? It was one of the first few jobs I sort of recognized in the world that I could see myself doing. And I'm very lucky in that I have good experiences in schools. I had good experiences with teachers. I could always imagine myself as a teacher. You know, I could see people that sort of look like older versions of me who were teachers now. Yes, of course, because it's the news and it's not new. Um, it's this whole conversation on race and policing is not a new conversation to teachers. When you started, what was your first impression of the SRO program and how did that impression evolve over the years? So I think in my first couple of years, when you're a new teacher, there's so much that you are trying to figure out. There's so much you are trying to understand. So you really just want to focus on doing your job. And it takes time to step back and see how schools work. And I think in my first couple of years as a teacher, I understood. I understood there's a police officer in the building. There's a police officer attached to our school. And I don't think I knew what their hours were. I don't think I knew what their responsibilities were. I knew that occasionally they would show up in places you'd be surprised with. Like, oh, hey, there's a police officer playing bagpipes at the Remembrance Day Assembly. That's kind of a cool party trick to pull out. Hmm, okay. Or, you know, you would get an SRO that spends all of their time in the gym working out at the gym that belongs to the school. And you think, oh, that's weird. We just have a guy in a uniform that works out here. The reality of the situation and something that Bashir mentioned when he told me your story is the situation where you had an SRO in your high school. Do you want to tell me specifically about this individual and, you know, what that story is all about? When you come into a school, there's a lot you need to learn about. And obviously a lot of it is getting physically situated, right? Like, where's my classroom? Where are my colleagues located at? And how do I get to, like, there's more pressing matters. And um, I didn't experience right off the bat where I realized in my first week that the SRO wasn't an ally. But that my SRO 
uh, with someone that you didn't want to actively work with and that you would have to potentially shield students from. And the SRO would ask me, like, how is it going with your students? Uh, I saw, you know, oh, this is fine. Um, and we were going to have to go through the student handbook and, you know, explaining those procedures we did. Uh, all the classical information of this is what you need to know about a fire drill, right? Like, these are the forms you need to sign. This is where you need to go to get your bus pass. All the basic info you would need at the beginning of the year. And the SRO uh, was there and I said, you would actually get a laugh of this because uh, you would have to, like, at one point of the planning you would have to go through with the students the student code of conduct like they can't bring weapons to school and you know the whole class was kind of fixated on joking around about you know classic 15 year old kids had the conversation uh, so what's a weapon oh is a pencil a weapon like very typical 15 year old conversations so i said you would get a kick out of this conversation and told the sro what we were that we as a class agreed everything's a weapon and not to bring anything to school so you know i told him about how the whole class had this great laugh i was like one kid was really into what's considered a weapon so the sro asked what's the kid's name and i said oh he's super funny you would like him a lot and i dropped the name and that was it and we carried on our ways the next day the kid gets pulled out of my class by the sro and the sro takes him to his office so for context he has a separate office it's not attached to the main one and you know he just reads this kid the riot act and questions this kid about why he wants to know about weapons what is a weapon what kind of weapons is he talking about and leans right into him and you know it comes to nothing because it can't go anywhere other than I know who you are, I got my eyes on you. And so here's this big white dude yelling at a shorter, smaller 15-year-old boy, 15-year-old black boy. And the conversation was one that we all had as a class. You know, we had this conversation about if you know Kung Fu, then you're not allowed in the building because, you know, your body is a weapon. And so this was a conversation we had as a whole classroom. There wasn't one specific person that was actively, you know, vetting for something upsetting. So as a teacher, I was mortified. I was horribly embarrassed that I had done this. And I very much feel like I did this to the kid and I didn't know how to protect this kid from the cop. And that this kid in his first week would feel like I had a problem with what we were all having as a conversation as a class and that I would immediately rat him out to the SRO. And the SRO would let him know that his high school experience was going to be under watch by this cop. That this is someone that doesn't care about students. That this is someone that doesn't care about our minority students. That this is someone who doesn't care about our young women. That this is not an ally. This is not a good cop. That's when I personally started to get stories and I started to take note of this person in our school and started to realize that this is a huge problem. If this is a person that has the ability to stay in, a, in your high school for four years and be recognized by the staff as not a good person and to be recognized as someone working to the detriments of students and that there's nothing to be done except for hope that this is going to be his last year and that someone would replace him that's better, right? That's a really bad feeling as a teacher 
and as a person. And you just start to see this as a person. I know I had an experience with an SRO who would not help students who were being, okay, so we had an issue with our female students who would be inappropriately touched in halls. Their butts would be slapped or they would be grabbed and they were feeling incredibly uncomfortable. And they were trying to figure out ways in which we could prevent this. And it kept coming back to, we can't do anything. It's just a he said, she said type of thing. But we had cameras. We had cameras inside our buildings. These incidences would be caught on camera and no one was willing to use the cameras. How mind-blowing is that? Like we could use all the, ca- all, the t- all the cameras all the time when property is stolen. A kid comes to class, gets distracted, and their bag is gone, right? We look at cameras to see who walked out of the classroom with that bag, and we track that bag down. We want to know about who's breaking into lockers, cameras. We want to know about fighting, cameras. We can look at the cameras for all these other things. But when girls are being touched inappropriately and no one would go to the cameras, I knew, I knew for a fact that the SRO would use cameras to keep track of teachers. For instance, I would have conversations with teachers and their phone would ring and they would be like, oh, I have to take this because I know he can see me right now. Or otherwise, he would bring up, I saw you ignore my call, saw it on the cameras. So he will use the cameras for offenses he wants to actively deal with. He will use cameras to keep tabs on people he wants to keep tabs on. But he wouldn't use the cameras to help young girls that were being violated, that were being assaulted in our building. We really struggled because we we felt that it was not a priority, that he didn't care, and that There was nothing that we could do for young girls and girls were dropping out of school as a result. Yes, it's terrifying to realize that, yeah, if you had a bad day, they have a real ability to teach 15-year-olds that cops aren't your friends and in fact that they're here to arrest you. That's like a struggle to imagine what role a police officer holds in a school that couldn't and should be held by someone else. Because when I think of it, when you ask people, why do you have cops in your school? A lot of the times the conversation goes to violence or drugs and you have people saying and bringing these up. And I know teachers aren't trained, most of them at least, aren't trained to de-escalate violence. And certainly we aren't trained in addiction. But if I have a kid that needs to get high in order to get through school, I don't want a cop to deal with them. If you have to get high on a 9 a.m. morning on a Tuesday in November, you don't need a cop. You need a program. You need a counselor. You need someone to help you. You don't need a cop and you shouldn't be criminalized for something like that. So it was announced that he was going to be leaving our school for another school. And there was this great sense of relief. There was also a sort of horrible realization that he wanted some sort of farewell party, which was incredibly awkward because no one wants to celebrate this person and their time at our school. 
uh, and then the horror of it of realizing he was moving to the closest school and the general assumption you know we all knew this guy would just leave and talk about how he had to talk about courts or standard reason to not be in the building then when he didn't even want to be in our building we thought because he was so close by he would constantly drop in and visit all of the time in his free time we stopped sort of hearing about him though and certainly because the next school had an SRO and our new SRO would team up and patrol the surrounding school with them, all of a sudden it wasn't our former SRO coming in. It was someone else entirely. So we thought, oh, we had this person for four years. They had this person for a month. How did they figure it out? How did they crack this code? And that's when stories came out from students. Because honestly, students had more connections between the two schools than the teachers did. And students began relaying the horrifying stories that this is, you know, again, this should be taken with a grain of salt because it's information coming from students. And even if it's from a student I trust, I know that a student network will exaggerate this. But the story that came out was that the school had to immediately remove this SRO because of a relationship, a romantic relationship that he had with a female student. And sort of the realization and horror of hearing it from students was, was different for me. But I think the worst realization is that they felt it was an inappropriate relationship, but they hadn't, like they wrapped it up in the fact that it's just because he's older than she is but not because she can't possibly consent if this is happening it's happening because of his position and power in my interactions with him over time i certainly never felt comfortable as a teacher or as a professional but i also never felt comfortable as a woman right I didn't feel comfortable how he interacted with students, and I certainly never felt he had the best interests of female students at her school. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he continued to have inappropriate connections and focus on some and ignore others at her school. I'm also just really frustrated that, you know, whatever the reason that they felt the need to remove him after a month, that he's no longer an SRO, but he's still a police officer, right? And I'm not privy to any of those conversations and what would happen there, but it doesn't appear to have any consequences other than that, you know, you don't get to call in from a school anymore, which is so disappointing because then that person gets to continue to pull in a paycheck and continue to be a bad cop just somewhere else. I don't need a cop in the school to protect me. Most of our kids don't need a police officer all day, every day in a uniform. They are never allowed to be out of their uniform. They are always in uniform. And no one is saying that a police officer can't come and volunteer, you know, their time in schools. I would love it if a police officer decided to use their free time to come and coach and team with like with 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 teams, you know, and to come and be a supervisor even on a field trip to come and speak to students about how they became a police officer. I would have no problem with a police officer choosing, actively choosing to be a part of a school. 
But what I have a problem with is a police officer who takes a gig in a school and doesn't realize that just the sight of them is terrifying to some students. So now we're in an interesting position where these things are actually being taken seriously for probably the first time ever. And, you know, change isn't happening and it hasn't happened yet, but we might be on the horizon of it. Um, So what are your hopes for the SRO program after what you've seen since the death of George Floyd and, you know, since we're in this new moment? And especially after seeing how the trustees and the highest level of governance for your employer handled this situation so far. What do you hope will happen? Yeah, I was pretty frustrated. There was the trustee that made the comment, like maybe we should ask police officers to be better. And I think that was the general point she was trying to make. To essentially say how we encourage police officers to have these better connections with students and be better at their jobs. I thought this was just such a useless comment because in all of my years of having police officers in schools, I have never seen a police officer be more like a teacher. What I have seen is administrators being more like police officers. And that's the thing that really scares me, that administrators now feel that police officers are an integral part of their ability to do their job and lends them the power to police their students. So now we see principals in a system, principals in a system who have gauged a majority of their time in attempting to police their school. And the idea they're setting up an office and putting candy in a bowl on a desk, and behind them, they are hanging up pictures of the top 50 most wanted minors in Edmonton, right? Like, what a strange thing to do as an SRO, to put pictures up of kids that are on the list of the most dangerous kids. Did that SRO really have a board of most wanted students? Like, that, that's kids on a wall, right? It's hard to, like, even imagine how this is acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Like, we're talking minors here, you know, people who haven't even finished high school. And your face is on the wall of a police officer in your school because you're a supposed criminal? Yeah, it's messed up, you know, and it's even legal, you know? We, we, should, we should just, like, call Avnish and just ask him what he will. Hey, Avnish. Uh, so I'm calling to ask you about a question that we're including in the SRO episode. So essentially, there was the SRO's office, and he had a poster plastered on the wall. And we wanted to ask you, from a legal perspective, you know, how could this be problematic or, you know, kind of go against uh, the law of this country? Well, like, like, I'm not sure what was on those posters, but like, you know, these are minors, there's privacy issues there. Um, there's also a concern about whether the statements are true to be defamatory. Um, you know, because you're, you're signaling to people that these people, these individuals whose faces are plastered on the wall, did something. Uh, likely did something wrong, likely did something criminal. And if that's not true, that's a serious harm to someone's reputation. So, uh, yeah, like I'm super surprised and concerned that a cop would do that, uh, particularly with minor people in such a public way. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I need. Uh, yeah, thanks for the... Thanks for taking the time to uh, to talk to us. 
it's one of those things you see and can't even stop yourself from saying, what is that? And if I'm asking that, then the kids in the seat and seeing that over the shoulder of the cop is asking, who are those kids? Which, which then gets into this conversation of, oh, you don't want to be one of those kids. Let me tell you, right? And how horrifying that it is to have that in the, to have that in the building. Because if I can see it, anyone can see it. If I can see it, the principal can see it. And why is something not being done about that? Or are they unable to? And again, if they are unable to say, please don't bring your rifle to school, to a place where children are, to a place where we're supposed to learn, how do you say, please take down your horrible displays of incarcerated youth? I don't know. They have the ability to put the kids in handcuffs. We know this. We know they put kids in handcuffs and walk them through our schools. We know they, pick, they pin kids to the ground. We know they have the ability to arrest kids and take them away in squad cars. That they have the ability to arrest kids and take them away and find them and ban kids from schools. So the SRO has the ability to ban, to ban a kid from school. And that's just an insane amount of power. And I know people will say, oh, cops won't do that. I know a good cop. I know of one that has a great relationship with my kid. And this one helped out with the soccer team. And that one went on the field trip. But what if they are not? Because we know there are some that are not good. So with all of the things that they can do, what if one chooses not to? So after hearing this episode, I think a lot of people are going to be left with the question, you know, what can I do to, I guess, what can I do? If uh, you are left, you know, wondering what can you do, if you're confused, frustrated, whatever, this is your chance, you know, speak at that meeting. It's free. So, yeah. um, Omar, you want to, you want to, you want to wrap this up? Yeah. Yeah. so I just want to thank anyone who's listened to today's episode and anyone who supported us on Patreon as well. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. I would also like to thank the high school teacher who decided to speak with us. Her sharing her story, I think, is really important and I'm eternally grateful that she took the time to speak with me. We are very, very, very excited to welcome a co-host for the show. So. Ooh. Co-host. Yeah, co-host. You heard that right. Yeah. So well, is this person going to be like consistent? Like just like this is going to be consistent. We yeah. are reorganizing our plan and essentially bringing our co-host on as an equal partner in let's find or <laughs> in let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> so for some context, Omar used to work on this podcast called Let's Find Out. It's good. You should listen to it. But you're saying they're an equal partner. Does that mean like equal? pay and everything that means equal pay that means equal pay between me and them that means equal airtime during the podcast that means you know equal you know access to this really good platform um and i think that also means equal perspective we're gonna really get to see 
their unique perspective on all these issues yeah. and they have a pretty unique perspective yeah, i'll say that much so, yeah. so, so when do you get a chance to uh to to hear this person so you're going to be able to hear them for the first time starting in september so uh definitely look forward to that sweet i'm excited i'm really excited too man it's gonna yeah. be really good i think we'll we'll end it off there uh thank you again for listening and uh we'll see you in september